Welcome to episode three of a three episode series podcast on Medicare Part B hosted by Cindy Kraft. This three episode series is produced by the National Association for Home Care and Hospice in conjunction with the Home Care and Hospice Financial Managers Association Innovation Committee. Episode three focuses on billing and operations for Medicare Part B in the home. Now, here's Cindy Kraft. Hello, this is Cindy Kraft from K&K Healthcare Solutions, joined today by Meredith Mull, who is an occupational therapist and vice president of community health strategy for select rehabilitation. Hello, Meredith. Hello, thank you for having me. We're excited to continue the conversation about the provision of Part B in the home. And in this session, we want the emphasis to be a bit more billing and operational because that can be where folks get stuck. My personal experience with Part B in the home, we thought this was great. We thought it was a great opportunity. We saw patients that definitely needed this level of care. We went out and did this because you could do it under your Part A license. And then we ran into all kinds of roadblocks from billing. Um, Confusion about the codes, people not sure how to bill, what to do, how do I set those things up? What if I get a denial? So Meredith, I reached out to you to say, this is not my expertise, it's yours. So let's kind of start at the top. So how would I get, if I wanted to do this, how would I get a Part B, Medicare Part B license? So I think the, for a home health agency, the first consideration that you would want to take is how exactly do I want to deploy my business? Do I want to do that as an extension of my home health licensure, or do I want to separate out that liability and enroll as a Medicare Part B provider? I think it's a conversation that they need to consider both from a liability perspective and then from a state perspective, because some states will require different licensure, different accreditations or certifications, and other states do not. So every state could look a little bit differently. But for a home health agency, as it relates to Part B, if you weren't going to partner with a Part B agency, you would uh, enroll as a kind of like a home health subunit, if you would, and you would bill that through your current existing licensure or you would separate out your liability, which most folks end up doing, and enroll at the federal level as either a rehabilitation agency, a private practice, or a CORF, or a comprehensive outpatient rehab facility. And each one of those has different requirements and different setups, so it becomes a conversation of how you want to be able to deploy your operation and what considerations are part of those. Is there a survey involved? Is there not? Are there limitations to where I can deliver services? Are there not? So each one of the enrollments at the federal level has different rules and requirements. So in other words, it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all plan, and individual entities need to weigh what those options are and what makes the most state sense for them in the state that they're in. In terms of you don't want to assume, you don't want to take the one that has the most complicated path necessarily and say, oh gosh, let's sign up for the one that has all the surveys and all this other rigmarole unless I can choose a different path. When we talk about this, it seems to be Medicare Part B, but 
are there other commercial payers that will pay to have these services come into the home versus into a facility? Well, so yes and no. So from a, a Medicare perspective, let's let's talk federally. Medicare allows providers to provide outpatient services in patients' homes. And depending on what enrollment you take at the federal level depends on how you can deploy those services. And then when it comes down to the state level, the state may require something completely different. I think, you know, from from that perspective, that's the first consideration. And then I think from a insurance perspective, you have in and out of network services. So depending on whether that insurance payer will let you in network at that particular time that you try to enroll will make a difference on what that looks like for your patients and what their responsibilities are going to be. There are quite a few commercial and managed care payers that will not cover Part B services in the home. There might be a carrier that covers it under certain plans and not under other plans. So it would matter what your the, the beneficiaries are enrolled in. So it becomes a very complicated mixture on the, on the commercial and managed care side and a lot to manage. And you really have to have an astute revenue cycle management team, credentialers and billers that really understand the nuances between the individual payers, because at the end of the day, that's going to affect your ability to treat certain beneficiaries in the home, and it's going to affect how much out-of-pocket costs they have. So if I had never done this before, and I was looking at, you know, you kind of scared me with all of that, <laughs> um, would, would, would I say, would you say that if I wanted to take a step into this space myself, mm-hmm. would traditional Medicare be the path of least resistance, as it were? Because it sounds like the commercials, the managed, the, a lot more juggling comes into play there, and maybe I could expand into that eventually, but is it a simpler route to say, I'd start with traditional Medicare? I think the answer to that is not simplistic. And the reason that I say that is because Medicare, traditional Medicare enrollment decreases year over year. And it's happening more so as some of these Medicare Advantage and commercial insurance payers are covering things that are non-traditional in nature. If you're just going to focus on Medicare, you could potentially be leaving almost half of your potential resident or, or beneficiary population out of the entire mix. I think to be successful on the Part B side, you have to have a mixture of all three. You have to have enough volume to be even considered to be an in-network payer on the, on the commercial side. You need to have your Medicare enrollment as a participating provider, and you need to establish some sort of private pay cash-based only opportunity because there are instances where you, you may be in a market where those services are not covered by those commercial payers. And it's a very commercial heavy market. I don't know that there's a simple answer to that, but I would say you have to have all three, I think, to have a successful operation. That's why I asked it that way, because it seemed like, wow, is there just a quick path to just get this up and running? And, and you made it very clear that it's not an insurmountable situation, but you do need to think about 
the diversity of that and how are you going to establish yourself in that space. But I have some more, a little bit more, say practical, that's probably the wrong word, more boots on the ground question about this billing piece. So how are Part B services billed to a third party payer? What do we need to know and think about if we're going to go into this activity? Let's start at the federal Medicare, Medicaid level, level, and then we'll go into the commercial space. But from a Medicare perspective, how those services, Part B services are billed really depends on how you plan to enroll as a participating provider. Am I going to enroll and, and be a Part B provider as an extension of my home health Part A licensure? Am I gonna enroll as a rehabilitation agency, a private practice, a CORF, et cetera? And then once you determine what enrollment you are going to take will depend on what type of bill that you send to Medicare and what the frequency of that would be. For example, if you are going to be a home health agency and bill on a 34X, you can bill that once a month. If you're going to be an outpatient private practice, you're billing on a 1500 form, for example, and you can bill that every single day. If you wanted to, you can bill it weekly, you can bill it monthly. So, you know, those are considerations, the capabilities uh, of the, the revenue cycle management team from a Medicare perspective. Medicaid is a lot trickier because it varies state by state. And so there are some states that will not cover therapy services for seniors over 65 at all. There are some states that may cover 10 to 12 visits per year, but they may not cover those services in the home. Or it may be a state where you have a home and community-based services waiver that will cover so many, you know, PT and OT and speech visits in the home. So Medicaid varies drastically state by state. And then from a commercial perspective, if you're in network, you're following the particular billing requirements, you're kind of keeping everything in the CAQH system, and you're billing in accordance with that particular payer's requirements. If you're out of network, some of them may not be, you may not be able to bill them at all, or you may have to get a per patient contract with that particular provider. So it gets a lot more complicated, difficult to manage. The higher your Medicare Advantage and different commercial payer types come in a certain market that you might service, when you're billing all of those different pieces, all of that needs to be really considered because it is, it's definitely a lot of management and oversight and a lot of moving pieces. What about the copay? Is, isn't there a copay issue embedded in any discussion about billing this? Yes. Yeah, so typically you are billing uh, on Part B, you're, you're billing the, uh, let's take Medicare, for example, the physician fee schedule. So you're billing off the same exact fee schedule that the physicians get reimbursed from, except therapists are billing the physical medicine rehabilitation codes. When you're looking at billing off the particular fee schedule, Medicare is going to set an allowable rate and they're going to pay you at 80%. And then you've got 20% of that particular visit that would have to be covered by a secondary payer, a secondary insurance, or would we have to be covered by the patient? There's also the per visit co-payment that has to be collected and that goes towards that patient's deductible. So there are a lot of moving pieces. It's not just like billing one insurance payer 
you also have to build the patient's secondary and then collect whatever you need to collect from those particular patients. So you have to have a really astute revenue cycle management team, because if you're, for example, a private practice and you're billing every day, it's a lot to manage. Well, you referenced that I need to collect that additional 20%, either from a, a different insurance provider or from the patient. I hear rumblings from time to time of agencies that say, ah, you know, I'll just forget the 20%. I don't want to deal with my clinicians collecting money in the home. I don't want to deal with a co-insurance. I'm just going to not do that. Is that an actual real option or is that a problem? I think that's a problem. I think that you would have a hard time staying afloat if that was the philosophy of the billing department. And, and, And the reason being is even on the Medicare side, which is typically the best pair as it relates to outpatient services, you have a lot of considerations you have to take about cuts that have either taken place or will continue to take place. You have the 2% Medicare sequestration. You have starting on January 1st of this year, that assistance when they deliver more than 10% of the service are reimbursed at 15% less than the, the Medicare allowable just very similar to how nurse practitioners and physicians, those different types of financial considerations. You have the MPPR policy, which is the multiple procedure payment reductions. You get a 50% reduction of the practice expense code when multiple disciplines perform services on the same day. And so you've got all of these different cuts and considerations to think of on that 80%. So you take all those cuts into consideration and then you're not going to collect the other 20%. I don't think you would be in business very long. Beyond the billing, what are some other things that our listeners should consider? What are some key pieces to consider if they're looking at going into the Part B space? Obviously, staffing and recruiting is a a really big deal. The frequency and duration of outpatient services inside of the home tends to be longer and frequency, higher frequency and longer duration than is typically delivered under a Part A home health stay. There are a lot of startup considerations. Credentialing can take anywhere from 30 to 90, sometimes 120 days. You're really at the mercy of the Medicare contractor to approve applications, or you might be, uh, have lost the, the uh, window of opportunity to be in network for a certain commercial payer. So there are, there's a lag time in getting started and that those enrollments and that credentialing is really an ongoing process. And you have to be very organized with that because not only do you have to credential your, your, your business to the payer, but oftentimes, and especially on the private practice side, you're, you're uh, credentialing all of your therapists as well. You have to have a good EMR that's really built for delivering Medicare Part B. You've got a lot of modifiers that go on the, the code. You have NCCI edits that you have to pay attention to. You've got different billing schedules. You need to have documentation libraries that are very specific to outpatient caseloads. And you have to have a really good denial prevention program, right? You have to have a documentation review and training for your therapist. You have to have really good operational oversight. There's a ton of different considerations on the outpatient side that would differ from a, a home health Part A provider, right? You've got telehealth currently under other under the waiver that's billed at fee for service. 
You've got scheduling, missed visits and changes to the scheduling. How do you optimize the route for those particular therapists, especially if they're going to go between A and B visits? How do I keep up with all of the coding and training and the local coverage determinations of each Mac and, and make sure that that's in, in my software and my, my therapists have been trained with those things? You have liability considerations as it relates to negligence and, and different things that may happen from an outpatient caseload perspective with your staff. And then the incentive payment programs. So if I'm a home health agency or I'm a provider that's using my institutional license to do a Part B program, I have no opportunity for a payment increase through, let's say, 2026 as it stands right now. You can't opt into any incentive payment programs unless you're an actual private practice that bills on a 1500 form. So if I'm a billing on an institutional claim, I can't opt into any incentive payment programs under Medicare, which is the only way that I can get a bump in, in payment year over year. So I think that there are a lot of considerations and why it's so important sometimes, we know how important the collaboration between home health part A and outpatient part B providers is. And even though we're all delivering services in the same site of service, there has to be a really tight collaboration because it, it really does benefit the patient. And so sometimes partnering with an expert in that space who maybe has the in-network capabilities, has the volume to get those contracts, has a really astute revenue cycle management team, can partner with those agencies in, in many different ways. They can manage the home health agency's Part B business for them. So it's still a business that they own. They're just outsourcing all the really difficult pieces to a partner or aligning with a partner such as Select, for example, that really has that, that expertise and in the insurance and the credentialing and the startup and the operational oversight and the training. So I think those are really what I would say would be the key pieces to consider if, if you were going to go into the Parky business. Well, Meredith, you gave us a lot to think about today. I think you know, some folks may be feeling overwhelmed and say, that's it. I'm not doing Part B. This is nuts. That was not the intent. I think that there is an opportunity in this space that we need to thoughtfully consider. Um, mm -hmm. And whether we choose to do it ourselves with some guidance or in a, in a strategic partnership, um, our ability to enhance the relationship between A and B to ensure patients are being seen in the most appropriate setting in the most appropriate way and are able to stay in the home safely is the ultimate goal on both sides of the discussion. So thank you very much for your time today, Meredith, and thank you to all who have spent your time today with us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode in our three-part series. On behalf of NAC and HHFMA, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And for more information, check out nac.org at nahc.org.